Father Time remains undefeated. It's coming. It's coming for it. It's coming for Andrew Harris eventually. That's the hill you're gonna if die not, on. If hey, not Jeff? this year, then next year. If not next year, the year after, and and so on and so forth. You know. Yes, that's literally how time works. But okay. So just how worried are we about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? And not just the fact that they've lost two consecutive on the field, but what about fantasy football perspective? We'll get into that and a whole lot more. Let's do it. Welcome to week nine of the CFL Fantasy Podcast presented by Leo Vegas. The website, cflfantasy.tsn.ca. Set your week nine lineups. If you've been listening all year, you know what you're playing for. If you haven't, here's the deal. You are playing for a Grey Cup package that includes a trip for two to Calgary at the end of the year with tickets to the big game and a unique championship ring so you can brag to all of your friends. Yes, we'll talk a lot about the Bombers this week. Two-game losing skid after a 5-0 start to the season. How about one of our fantasy podcast favorites, Vernon Adams Jr. going down late in Montreal's loss to Ottawa. The Red Blacks snapped their four-game losing skid. And the BC Lions coming off the bye week. All of these things on the Week 9 edition of the show. My name is Pat Steinberg out west in Calgary. We've got Hannah Nordman and Jeff Creever out east in Toronto. And Jeff, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, after a perfect 5-for-5 to start the season, after a loss to Toronto, pretty stunning one over the weekend, They've now lost two straight. In the CFL, where anything can happen, you have almost undefeated Winnipeg, top-ranked team in the CFL, playing the winless Argos, who I've had people telling me, Jeff, the Argos, they're going to go 0-18 this year. I said, no, I don't think that's going to happen, 0-18. That's just too many things. They're going to win a game. And, well, two weeks ago, we were talking about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the undefeated Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as a team that looked like the Grey Cup favorite. Hannah wasn't buying into it, of course. No. Hannah put that put that idea to bed right away. Maybe she had the most foresight out of the three of us. Uh, or maybe I'm just super pessimistic. <laughs> I don't know. We even Which blamed her. We even blamed her for yeah. for the sudden slump. Thanks, guys. Um, I apologized. But let's let's be honest. Probably we can't rule it out, but probably Hannah's words had nothing to do <laughs> with the bombers probably. dropping uh, after leading twenty to nothing against the Argos. But. We talked about it last week, and this is something that we've seen in the past from the Bombers. Sustained success followed by a bit of a slump. And we're always asking this question. I feel like it's been years now where we're saying, who are the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Because we don't know. Because the ceiling is high. We know what this team is when it's firing on all cylinders. But then you have instances where they struggle like the last two weeks in a row, two games that they should have won. The Ticats, no Jeremiah Mazzoli, and the Argos who hadn't won a game all year. Guys, where are we right now with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? There's um there's some alarm bells in the distance, very far away. You so can kind of a little bit nervous. A little bit, a little ner- bit I'm nervous. getting nervous. You said it last week and I'm like, "Nah, not a dip. If you're going to bounce back, it's against the Argos." And now It was set up perfect for them. Oof. That you was struggle, not a fun you have one a down watch. game, and you get the winless Argos on the schedule. It's perfect. They should have, they, it, this should have been a no-brainer. Win the game, get high on yourself again, get that confidence back, and keep your top spot at the, in, in the West Division. I haven't seen them play 60 minutes of football yet. They went up 20 to nothing, and they stopped playing. And we've seen that in the past few weeks, but their leads have been so big it didn't matter. This one came back to bite them. They've got to play 60 minutes. I'm not concerned really at all about Winnipeg. I I think they're still a really good football team. I just think what we've seen is that there's just not a lot of separation between the good teams in the league. And, And, you know, I think there's a potential for a few of these teams to be elite, but I don't think... Even with a 5-0 and start, after seeing what's happened the last two games, a loss to Hamilton and then a really stunning loss to Toronto, I don't think you can put Winnipeg in that elite class either. I just think right now they're one of the good teams in the CFL. And they're joined by Saskatchewan. They're joined by Calgary. They're joined by Edmonton. They're joined by Hamilton. You probably throw uh, Montreal and Ottawa in that mix right now. There's very little separating uh, that 
that seven-team group right now. And in the West Division, you've got two five-and-two teams and a pair of four-and-three teams. And then you've got Winnipeg at home to Calgary to kick off week nine on Thursday. I think that we'll learn a little bit more about both these five-and-two teams when they meet one another at IG Field on Thursday. But am I concerned by about Winnipeg? No, I still think this is a playoff team. But perhaps the talk about them running away with the West Division has come down a little bit because I just I, I think that we're talking about a group that they've got a lot of good things, but there's also some I don't know the words holes or some areas of improvement, whatever you want to say. This is this is not a flawless team, and I think that we've seen that the last two weeks. Okay, well we'll move it along shortly. I do have two concerns myself, though. Uh, uh, just. You know what? And you hit the nail on the head, Pat, and you also talked about it in your MMQB this week, which, by the way, check it out, cfl.ca, every week. Uh, our very own Pat Steinberg. Pat, try not to blush. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, the Blue Bombers looked like they could run away with the West Division. And that lead in the West with, with good teams, that's big. They don't have that anymore. That's gone. That concerns me because Calgary's a very good football team that's doing this without Bo Levi Mitchell and a team that has a lot of new faces and is going to hit on all cylinders later on in the year. Edmonton's really good, great defense. Trevor Harris, who's hot and cold, but when he's hot, there aren't many teams that are going to beat the Edmonton Eskimos. And the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are a wild card at this point too. And we'll talk about them later as a dark horse, but they look really good. The other thing that comes up for me is, if you're the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and you have a 20-point lead, that is vintage Winnipeg football. That is a game that the Bombers shouldn't lose. They're built for that. They're built to be leading a game from start to finish. That power run game and the creativity of Paul LaPolice, all of the weapons that you've got from Lucky Whitehead to Kenny Lawler to Chris Matthews, that game should have been over. It should have been 20 to nothing and never looking back. So I was stunned by that result. It's nothing against the Argos because I, I, I had said it last week, the Argos have been playing better lately despite all the negative press. But that's a game that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have to close out. I don't care if it's not a huge game and it's the first weekend of August. You know, yeah, we're not talking about November. It's not going to cost them their season. That's ridiculous. But they had to win that game. We're here in Toronto. Hannah's doing an incredible act eating her chips and not making noise because she didn't have breakfast. Yeah. Very silently. You will not hear any chewing on the podcast. Not a single chip. Very professional. Thank you. I'm impressed. Um, and we're recording on the holiday Monday. You'll be hearing this probably on Tuesday, which will give you about 48 hours before the first game of the week. A little bit of time to get that, get that lineup going. And you know what? Let's, uh, let's look back on what was a crazy week eight uh, as we gear up for another week of fantasy football. Yeah, well, speaking of Winnipeg, uh, they, they certainly had a pretty high-end performer despite a stunning loss to Toronto. If you bucked up and put the money on Andrew Harris and had him in your lineup in Week 8, you were rewarded with his best performance of the season. 38 points. That's his best performance of 2019 and the sixth best of anybody this season in CFL fantasy. Had the Battle of Alberta, uh, round one of three this season, go in Calgary over the weekend. Terry Williams, 18 points, helped in large part by a kick return. Trio of other Stampeders got to double digits. Reggie Bagleton, Romar Morris, and Eric Rogers. But how about Edmonton's Ricky Collins? Despite the loss, he stole the fantasy show, finishing second in the week with 33 points thanks to a pair of touchdowns. Rounding out the top three in terms of points, Toronto's McLeod, Bethel Thompson, the day after the Argos go get Zach Caleros, Thompson, Bethel Thompson responds. He was the least picked quarterback in Week 8, but he led all QBs with 30 points in that stunning comeback win. Uh, the Argos coming back from 20 points to win, and S.J. Green just behind him. He was the favorite target, 28.5 points for the Argos receiver. Finally, also with 20 points this week, Devontae Dedman with a pair of touchdowns in the return game. The Riders combo of Cody Fajardo and Shaq Evans both got 20-plus points, and Eskimos pivot Trevor Harris, he uh, paid off once again with 20-plus points as well. Western Willie, you're used to hearing that name, he remains on top of the fantasy uh, national leaderboard, well, international leaderboard, because we do have players around the world. Uh, he's he's up by 15 points over second place Paxton K uh, after a cool 105 points on the shoulders of Andrew Harris. The top week in week eight was Nikki Levin, 145 points with a roster including Andrew Harris, Ricky Collins, Cody Fajardo, 
uh, Shaq Evans and Brandon Burks. A lot of really good performers there. Uh, and no defense that week. So win one for the for the no defense crew. Yeah, uh, no big standout on defense this week. Yeah, Not well. nobody, nobody. I, I was okay. I took the Owls defense, and I felt I got fair return on that uh, on that investment. I think they had nine points. So uh, at, at a thirty-two hundred dollar price tag, that's that's good with me. Among the three of us, uh, Pat Steinberg is back in the Century Club after about a month absence. Hundred point two points. He just made it. The hair of his chin. By the hair of his chin, I'm going to get that shaved off or, or plucked. Uh, he's back in the lead, overtaking Hannah, who had 89 points. And I myself continue to close the gap, hitting 100 points for the first time this season with 110. So at this point, if you're keeping track, just 29 points separating the three of us in our little pool. Patton first with 775 points. And remember, you can play along with us by joining the CFL Fantasy Podcast League. It's early in the week, so no fantasy flash. And by the time you hear this, you may have some uh, some new news to go off of. We don't know what's going on with Vernon Adams Jr. and his status for Week 9, as Pat mentioned. Uh, big play VA leaving the game in the second half for the Montreal Alouettes. Let's move along to that crowded West Division because we've talked about how crazy it is with one game separating the top four teams. If you guys had to pick now, and we had the Winnipeg debate, who are you picking to win it? Is it still Winnipeg? Is is it someone else that's emerging? Would you guys be surprised if any of these teams ended up on top? Like of Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Sask, would you honestly be surprised if any of them did? Sask would probably be the most surprising, but... I don't know. All of these guys could end up on top. Eskimos look different in their wins than their their losses. Like they look like two very different yeah. teams. So that one's a little bit iffy. They're Jekyll and Hyde. That's been a theme for them this year. You don't know which Eskimos team is going to show up. Stamps look strong even without Bo, even with injuries. And Winnipeg is still a solid team. They've lost two weeks, but that doesn't mean anything. They're still at the top of the standings. Sass could keep figuring it out. Fajardo looks good. The team looks good. Any of any one of these. If I had to guess right now, I'm gonna go Calgary. They continue to look strong and consistent. I'm a big believer in the process, and if you do the right things and you do them consistently, the results will follow even if they don't necessarily do it immediately. And when you're talking about a big picture and the process being stuck to, I still think I still think the underlying numbers point to Edmonton being the best team in the West. Uh, this is a very very good defense. They are strong against both the pass and the run, and we're talking about a an offense that I know there have been some hot and cold moments, but this is still the number one passing offense in the CFL, and they've got a really strong rushing attack that I think's taken a step forward from 2018. And, and CJ Gable looks like he's back to the guy he was when when he first got to Edmonton so I, I I look at Edmonton I look at them statistically I look at their uh, collection of talent I still think if I were to choose a team that I think is the best in the West it's them and if they continue to do what they've do, done to this point I the results will follow but I don't think I do not think we're talking about a big gap between any of these teams Saskatchewan has an offense that is so much better than it was last year and still a really strong defensive group Calgary you're right Hannah has has done it without Bo and this team has, I think, defied a lot of critics in what they've done defensively. And Winnipeg started the season 5-0, and as we already talked about. They're no, just despite two straight losses, this is still a really good team. But if you were to point and say, you got to choose a winner right now, who's the best in the West, I'm going to go Edmonton. Well, the Stamps are the biggest surprise for me so far. There's no doubt about it. You've been low on them all year. I have been low on them. And it's funny because in the past, I've been the one saying, why are we counting out the Calgary Stampeders every single year when people are counting them out? And this is the year I finally said, I think they've lost too much. Well, it turns out that was probably wrong. Their defense looks really good despite a lot of players they've lost. Uh, Corey Greenwood looks terrific. Um, Mike Rose in the middle of that D-line. That defensive line looks really strong. Uh, And considering it's only a shadow of what was there last year as far as the names we're looking at, it's crazy. On the offensive side of the ball, they're doing it without Bo. And we all know about Nick Arbuckle. I thought he's looked very poised. He's going to be a starter in this league for a long time. 
probably not with Calgary, but he's going to be a starter in this league for a long time. So to me, uh, now you're adding Romar Morris back to the picture, who I, I couldn't believe I couldn't believe it watching him the other night. It, what, what are we nine months off an Achilles injury, an injury mm-hmm. that used to be career-ending for most players? Right. I mean, these days a lot of players are coming off that injury, but nine months removed. That's unbelievable. And he had burst. He looked good. I wouldn't be surprised if he sits some games here and there just because why rush him back. But, man, if he's playing this week, I'm thinking about having him in my lineup, especially at his price tag. So I think there's a lot to like with the Stamps. And to me, that's the, clear, that's the clear-cut favorite to win the West now. And, I, and I've come around on them. Yeah, I, I'm eating my own words, and I'm surprised. Um, but... Hey, here we are. I, I, I'm big on Calgary right now, and I think the other teams have made, especially Winnipeg, have made a big mistake letting Calgary hang around. It's a pretty big turnaround in only nine weeks. Well, <laughs> it's a, that's the CFL. Uh, that's the CFL. Winnipeg and Calgary's are Thursday nighter. They're the two betting favorites, according to Leo Vegas, to win the Grey Cup this season. How important is this game, keeping in mind it's week nine? This is, this is a bigger game for me for Winnipeg than it is to Calgary. And not to say that it's a, not a big game for the Stampeders. Of course it is. You're, it's, it's a battle for top spot. It's one of the marquee matchups as we're in the first half of the CFL season. But with the Bombers losing two consecutive, having this game at home, and knowing that Matt Nichols has had his struggles over the last couple of weeks, knowing that they let a previously winless team come back on them and drive down the field 70-plus yards in the final two minutes on Thursday night. I just think this is a big game for Winnipeg, not to prove to the three of us or prove to you listening what they are, but to to prove to themselves that, okay, that 5-0 and start was legit, we are that good, and now one of their tougher tests of the season and their biggest marquee matchup of the season and having it at home, to me, it's a bigger game for Winnipeg. It's a big game for both teams, but I think this is a really important game internally for the Bombers, and I'm, I'm fascinated to see how they perform, knowing what we've seen the last couple of weeks. I'm with you on that this is a bigger game with Winnipeg because show me these aren't the same bombers. Show me these aren't the same old bombers. And I, I, I just want to yell it and I feel like yelling, show me the money because that's one of my favorite that I thought you were going anything for ever. Uh, yeah, I could yell that all day. Uh, show me these aren't the same old bombers though because this was the year that I, I finally bought it. I said, you know what? I didn't believe it going into the year but after a few weeks I said this team looks like it's going to the Grey Cup this team looks like the best team in the CFL and like it's ready to get over the hump and be a Grey Cup champion a three game losing streak and losing to the Calgary Stampeders who still don't have their starting quarterback and yeah their defense has been good but you know they're not we're not talking about the 2018 Calgary Stampeders defense yeah Winnipeg Show me that this is the 2019 Bombers that can be the Grey Cup champs. Before we move on from this game, Jeff, you mentioned Romar Morris coming off the Achilles injury. Nine carries, five catches, four punt returns. So he was busy. But what does this backfield look like if everyone's healthy? Don Jackson, Kadeem Carey, Terry Williams, Romar Morris, all in there. How do you rank these guys? Who plays if they're all healthy at one time? Pat, you got to have some answers for us, man. It's it's a week-by-week week thing. I think it's a week-by-week week thing for Dave Dickinson and that coaching staff. And I think from a fantasy standpoint, it's week-by-week week as well. So you talked about Romar Morris, who is out to start the season after recovering from that Achilles injury he suffered last year. He's back in the fold. We've already seen Kadeem Carey start games. We know that Don Jackson is one of the more consistent backs in this league, and he was the top-of-the-depth chart guy to start the season. I think I think you're you're rolling with the punches right now. So if Morris is the guy once again, I think he's a good option because the Stampeders have shown they can run the ball and they're committed to running the ball. And with all of these guys, there is certainly a commitment to using them in the passing game too. So if Morris is at the top of the depth chart for Thursday's game against Winnipeg, I think he's an interesting play. Uh, What will be interesting, you're right, is when everybody's healthy. But the Stampeders team has historically just had a lot of injuries. And so I don't know if we're talking about a time when Kerry, Morris, Williams, and Jackson are all healthy together. I I really think it's a wait and see 
type scenario with them, see what you've got each week. If everybody is healthy, yeah, you know, one of those guys is going to sit and there might be a little bit of a running back by committee situation, which makes them not attractive from a fantasy standpoint. Right now, if Morris is on top of the depth chart for Thursday, I think he's going to get the bulk of the touches. And if that's the case, he's an interesting play, even against that Winnipeg run defense. It's getting crowded. And I know someone who's not going to be happy with that. And his name is Ben Kramer. He makes the projections for us every week. Check him out, dailyrotocfl.ca. Every week, who's going to score how many points? I go off them. I use them to build my lineup. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they change my mind a little bit, too. Mm. Sometimes I scoff at them and I go, well, this guy's my lock, and you're saying he's only going to get seven points, which is about on par with my locks of the week lately anyway. <laughs> so, Let's talk dark horses because we've been talking top of the standings for a while. Sask, who's sitting fourth in the West, or Montreal, who's currently second in the East. Which one of these two teams is better equipped to get to the Grey Cup this year? I'm going to go I'm going to go Montreal on that question because I like their path a little better. If this is an Alice team that hosts an East Division semi or maybe hosts an East Division final, I just like their path better. There's no more Jeremiah Mazzoli in Hamilton. He's done for the season. So I don't think you can look at Hamilton as the dominant force in the, in the East. You can still say you think they're the best, and we'll see what happens. We're going to talk about Dane Evans a little bit later on, and this team is really rounding into form defensively. But, you know, Montreal could very well be looking at a four-game win streak. I know that Ottawa beat them in overtime, but that could have gone either way. And now we're talking about Montreal knocking on the door for top spot. And this this team is this team is significantly better than they've been for the better part of a decade. So, yeah, I think I like Montreal's path better for Saskatchewan. If they go through the West Division, then you're talking about having to go to Edmonton or Winnipeg or Calgary potentially and having to win there and potentially have to, playing, have to play two of those three teams. I just think it's if you can be a team in the East, I think your path to the Grey Cup right now is a little easier. There's only four teams, and yeah, you might have to deal with a crossover. I just think that there's, there's a little bit of a more wide-open door to going to the very end out East than there is out West. So it has nothing to do with what team team I think is better because I actually think that Saskatchewan from a team by team comparison I might put them a slight step ahead slight step ahead of Montreal but I think the Alouettes have a better path I definitely agree with you on the path I mean that East division is completely wide open and at this point it wouldn't shock me if any of those teams save for Toronto although the Argos that they're not out of it now no the way that the other teams have started and the Jeremiah Mazzoli injury yeah, the Argos get get some things going. They, they could claw back in this thing, but I, I don't think anything is out of the realm of possibility in that division. So uh, the Riders, I want to see them beat a really good team. I want to see them beat a top team that's at the top of its game because the Riders' wins have come over a struggling Toronto team early in the season, uh, the BC Lions twice, and the Hamilton Tiger Cats without Jeremiah Mazzoli in, in a win that really came uh, in the last minute with some some late-game heroics from Cody Fajardo. So I want to see the Riders match up against one of the heavyweights before I'm ready to start calling them uh, a legitimate contender. I think Dark Horse is a good term for them right now. They're a team that could come out of, out of nowhere and out of the woodworks and, and surprise, but I'm not ready to name them one of the heavyweights of the CFL. Got a doubleheader on Friday. That Sask-Montreal game is first. And a guy who's really impressed in Saskatchewan, we've been trying to talk about how do you pick between the receivers the Kyron Moore and Shaq Evans Shaq Evans looks like he's putting himself in the next class where would you put him in your in your receiver ranking in the CFL right now has he cracked your top five Shaqardo like Sharknado you know Shaq and Cody Fajardo no I didn't come up with it our social team did so it's not my fault you can't blame me for this I have you seen the movies no. I haven't either. I've seen a promo. I've heard they're great, though. Pat, have you seen it? Sharknado? No, I, 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 did not, uh, I did not partake in the first or the multiple sequels. I'm a big <laughs> Ian Zeering fan, though. 90210 till I die. All right. Ho- homework. Homework for, uh, for the coming weeks. You've got to watch uh, Sharknado. I, I've, seen, uh, I've seen Shakardo, the quarterback, running, the quarterback receiver combo for the Riders, and it looks pretty good. Fajardo throwing a Shaq Evans a lot. And to me, uh, Shaq Evans looks like one of the best receivers in the CFL right now. And 
I know we write it here. Who are your top five CFL receivers? And I, that list could change every week, mm-hmm. uh, let's be honest. There are a lot of good receivers in the CFL. Uh, injuries kind of mess things up because you've got Kamar Jordan, who's definitely in that conversation if he's healthy. Um, I mean, Darrell Walker, he's up there, but with his production, it's hard to judge in Toronto with that situation. Shaq Evans is in that conversation for me, though. He's there. He's somewhere in there because, to me, he's gone from being a promising rookie to a very consistent sophomore who is putting up big numbers, has become the go-to target in this offense. We talked about it last week. How do you pick between Kyra Moore and Shaq Evans? I think that conversation's over now. Yeah, I think we have an answer. I mean, their salaries are still close. And given that... I don't, I don't know if you can... Like, we're still talking about... Like, Shaq Evans has had four really big games. But he's also had three games where he's been a non-factor. And that's not, that's not trying to disparage him as a player. Because I think he is, yeah, pounding on the door right now of being considered one of the unquestioned elites in this league. Like, if you were to ask me who my top five receivers are from a straight-up talent perspective Evans right now is in that next group knocking on the door to be in that top group I think that top group is is the the guys that we are very used to talking about Darrell Walker I think might be one of the most talented pound for pound players at any position in this league like right there top three but certainly Darrell Walker Brandon Banks Brian Burnham Greg Ellingson Eric Rogers those are the five for me that if you're just talking about pure talent for talent not looking about situation or who their quarterback is those are the top five guys but Shaq Evans is in that next group but from a fantasy standpoint like we've taught we're talking about a 35 yard week uh, a week where he got one target no yards and sandwich in between a couple of 106 106 60-yard weeks, he's got a 19-yard week. So four huge games and three games where he's been a non-factor. I, I still think there's a boomer, boomer bust scenario there with him and Kyron Moore. I'm not ready to say that he is a, a must-start every week. I think that if you get him on the right week, he can have a huge week for you. And I think he has got elite-level talent. It just it still does make me nervous talking about those two guys because I think Kyron Moore is the same type of talent as as Evans is and and I think that Cody Fajardo likes him both his targets right now. Well, I I disagree a little bit and, and I, I'm ready to invest in Shaq every week if I need to at least until that price tag goes a little higher because as a wide receiver one I think there's still some value there and I I, I stayed away from him last week because I thought. You know what? That matchup with Delvin Bro, that tie cat secondary, that, it doesn't matter who he's against anymore. Trey Roberson, like it's. There's no situation that scares me with this guy because I think he can beat any corner in the CFL. He's physically dominant. Cody Fajardo trusts him. He's going to get the volume now. And I think those days of you talked about boomer bust. A couple of those rough performances, though, were early in the season when the Riders were still finding themselves. Their offense. But how do you like? It's it's tough to it's tough to sit here. I mean, you go and you take a look at a a beautiful matchup for the Riders, and they pounded the Lions forty-five eighteen. He touched the ball three times. So I I don't know. It's 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 tough for me to say that Shaq Evans is every week. Is he every week a one hundred yard threat? Yes, but with a player like Kyron Moore and a couple of other interesting targets there, I, it's it still it still is a little bit boomer bust for me. I'm not ready to say there's there's none of that involved in in this player. Well, the problem that week, of course, game script played into that, right? Cody Fajardo yes. only had to throw it 26 times. Uh, yes, and William Powell was a monster, right, with three touchdowns, 146 yards. So that's that's part of it. But yeah, um, that's fair. I think that's definitely a fair argument. Uh, I will say this. Uh, final words before I turn it back to Hannah. Ricky Collins leading the CFL in receiving right now, uh, 27 years old. Shaq Evans second in the CFL in receiving right now, 28 years old. A lot of times we see these guys, they're mid to late 20s before the, these receivers really come out of their shell and become dominant receivers in the CFL. I think those two are names we're going to be getting used to seeing in that top five in receiving yards Probably every year for the foreseeable future. I, I really do. Those Opportunity is a big part of it. They're getting the opportunity to show how good they are. And uh, Shaq Evans and Ricky Collins are two names we should be getting used to seeing for sure. Until they turn 30 and your ageism kicks that, in. That, uh, receivers, I'm a little, I'm a uh, little more lenient on. Sure, sure. Give me, sure. Give me uh, 32, 33. <laughs> 
Yeah, then your ageism. They're fine. All right. Yeah, got but it. You're, you got you're definitely right. Andrew Harris looked old against Toronto. Definitely did not. <laughs> and and they had to rest him in the second half. They they couldn't play him in the second half, and, and he had a bad week in fantasy. So well, good point by you. Father Father Time remains undefeated. It's coming. It's coming for it. It's coming for Andrew Harris eventually. That's the hill you're gonna if die not, on. If hey, not Jeff? this year, then next year. If not next year, the year after, and and so on and so forth. You know. Yes, that's literally how time works. But okay. Um, (laughs) Vernon Adams Jr. did not finish the game in week eight. Can this team win without him? Because it seems like he's been the catalyst to this team turning it around, to this team being good for the first time in however many years. It's kind of too bad that we're talking about him. And, and, And as Jeff mentioned, we're talking about this on Monday. So who knows what happens as we move closer to Montreal's big game against Saskatchewan. That's a big game for both teams in terms of, you know, quality of opponent, what they can do against a, a really good team from the other division. But it's too bad we're talking about this because look, you know, we, we had some fun with it and big play VA a number of weeks ago. And I was wait and see, and I'm not totally sold. Well, I'm a whole lot closer to totally sold. Now this guy can ball. He is, he has, has shown that he has taken significant strides in the passing game. He still has that incredible athletic ability to to bust a big play at the blink of an eye, even when you don't see it. Like this guy, this guy has gone from being a a raw player with great talent, but having trouble put it all putting it all together to really good quarterback. And so if he doesn't play against Saskatchewan, it's it's too bad because this could have been a really interesting matchup between two players that are very similar in that. Because Cody Fajardo, in his time with Toronto, and, and as he was working his way up, we've said the same things about him. And very raw, but can he put it all together? Both guys are doing it right now. I don't like Montreal's chances if Adams doesn't play, even though they're at home. This Riders team is strong. That defense is rounding into form. And I don't know if I love the matchup Antonio Pipkin against the SAS defense and Cody Fajardo is shown from both an on-field perspective and a fantasy perspective that he can get the job done. So if Adams plays, this looks like a really close, hard-fought game. If there's no Adams and he has to sit out a week, then I, I like Saskatchewan by a you know a much wider margin than I would have thought. I would agree that Vernon Adams was the catalyst for the Alouette's success, but I don't think he's the identity or the be-all end-all of that offense. I think it revolves around William Stanback and. For whatever reason, when the Owls went away from Stanback towards the end of that game, their offense struggled. They put the ball in the hands of Antonio Pipkin. He didn't get the job done. Uh, He had some time off. He was a bit rusty. He was injured. Fine. I do think that with a week of practice, and if they build, if they set up their offense around Stanback, and they play to the strengths of Antonio Pipkin, letting him run the ball more. getting the ball out of his hands quickly first, second read, uh, and using that strong arm of his to take some shots downfield, I think the identity of this Alouette's offense rests with Stanback and some of those talented receivers. I really do. I also think that one thing that we're not talking about here is the loss of Tyler Johnston at right tackle, and, and I think that hurt the Alouettes a little bit last game. I, I really do. And they're going with Spencer Wilson at right tackle right now. He's fine. He's a good player. I think Tyler Johnston was becoming a dominant tackle in this league as a ratio breaker. I think they're going to miss him in Montreal. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but I, 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 there were a couple of comparisons from that game that the broadcast team made, and I liked them. They compared Antonio Pipkin to Michael Bishop, who was one of my favorite quarterbacks ever, by the way, as a young Argos fan growing up. And... They also compared Quan Bray to Arlen Bruce, which I, which I, uh, no, it was it wasn't the broadcast team that made that comparison. It was someone on Twitter, but I thought they were both interesting comparisons, especially the Bishop one, because you're talking about a quarterback in his early 20s with incredible raw athleticism who's going to take some time to figure it out, and that's Antonio Pipkin. I don't think you write this guy off yet. I'm really interested to see if he gets into the game this week and if Vernon Adams is injured what Antonio Pipkin can do with that offense and what the Alouettes can do uh, using his strengths to be successful. Antonio Pipkin won that job out of training camp. He was named the week one starter for a reason. We really haven't seen what he can do this year. He has not had a chance to play a full game. So who knows if if Vernon Adams is truly the, the make or break part of this team. But if he doesn't play... I'm interested to see what Pipkin can do. Not interested enough to start him, 
but I I don't count them out. Guy who had a big breakout week this week, Devontae Dedman in Ottawa. All of his points coming off returns. Punt return, touchdown, kickoff return, touchdown. Is a guy like this on your fantasy radar or is a guy who's just strictly a return specialist risky? It's kind of been the, the year of the kickoff return. We already broke a record. Eight? Eight kickoff returns so far this season? Here's the thing about returners. And look, Deadman had a great game, and it was exciting. But that was his first kickoff return touchdown. And, and look, that's unfair because those don't happen all the time. It was his first punt return touchdown of the season, too. We're talking about a guy who's touched the football, what, four times outside of special teams? For a guy who is strictly in the return game, I... Unless, unless there was a specific spot and they gave us salary for returners, I can't, I can't justify putting a guy who's only on special teams in my lineup. As good as his game was, I just think that it's, it's too rusty, uh, risky. Rather, You're not getting PPR points. You're not seeing him worked in uh, for the bulk of the football game. And then you're hoping that he has one or two big gains and is able to maybe put a major up on the board. Well, he has two of them this season. They both came in the same game. Too risky a play for me. Come on, Rick Campbell. Come on, come on, Winston October. Let's let's get him on offense. Let's see what he can do on that side of the ball. Red Blacks need some offensive playmakers. Deontay Spencer is in Pittsburgh right now. He's not coming back anytime soon. Christina Costable was out there for CFL.ca. Visiting that city and watching taking in some of that Steelers camp. He he looks pretty good. I think he'll be sticking around. Let's get Devontae Deadman the ball on offense a bit. See what he can do. Then I'd have him in my lineup. Then I'll put him in my fantasy lineup. But yeah, return specialists, solo return specialists, where that's that's all they're going to do. It's a dart throw. It really is. It's a, it's what you would call a punt at the position. You're just you're taking whatever points you can get. I mean, even with that incredible performance, that was 27 points. There were still players who did better than him in, in week eight when that should have been the top performance. So it's tough to get points on just returns yeah unless there's a touchdown you're really not getting a total because those return yards are just worth too little uh trevor harris greg ellingson both left the red blacks in free agency kind of the biggest story of free agency well they're back this weekend facing their old team with ottawa in edmonton who has the edge here does one side have more motivation than the other is there a chip on on ottawa's shoulder still or Trevor Harris the, staring down the other sideline. This is the revenge-themed podcast. Revenge tour. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah, I got that one. That I, that might be the first time you say a, a common phrase correctly. I didn't mix the my metaphors try. or yeah. completely butcher it. It's a short one. Pat, what, what do you think of this? Which side has more to prove? Um... Both guys are really interesting to me. This I I know that Ottawa had a big win and got back within a half game of Montreal for second in the East, but I still think there's a lot of suspect parts of that parts of that defense right now, and I think you can put up yards on the ground and through the air against them. So I think Trevor Harris. He's the most expensive quarterback this week, but I think Harris is a really interesting play against his former team, and I do think there's going to be motivation there. And, and yeah, I think if Ellingson plays, and, and remember we're taping this on Monday, Ellingson did not play for Edmonton in their game against Calgary. He was on the one game, so we'll see what his status is for this game this week. But if Ellingson plays, then I think he's a really interesting play to, just because we are talking about an Ottawa team that you can put yards up against. So, yeah, both guys are intriguing to me yeah I think the motivation uh, adds to it as well but from a strict matchup standpoint the only one that I really like this week matchup wise is the matchup against Ottawa not not saying that Ottawa is going to lose I just think you can put some yards up against against that team right now I like a few matchups this week but that's certainly one that stands out and I think the motivation is there and there's no doubt about it I think Trevor Harris and Greg Ellingson felt quite slighted by the Red Blacks this offseason. They both wanted to be back, but they also wanted to be paid like top players at their respective positions, and I think they feel that they weren't offered that. Trevor Harris watched Mike Riley and Bo Levi Mitchell get mega contracts for being the best quarterbacks in the CFL, and an argument could be made that Trevor Harris has 
starting to put himself in that same tier, albeit he's been inconsistent this year. But I think the player certainly feels uh, that he's there. So, yeah, I think Trevor Harris and then Greg Ellingson, if he does play this week, they're going to want to throw it down their old team's throats. There's no doubt about that to me. This, this game is personal for those two guys. They'll say it isn't, but it is. We've seen in small sample sizes what Shaq Cooper is capable of, but C.J. Gable still the RB in this team. Are they making a mistake not doing at least a timeshare here? Should Shaq Cooper be getting some of these carries? Jeff, I know you're probably a little bit more adamant on this one because I know you're a big fan of the player and I am too I think he's really talented and when you've got a pair of players like Cooper and Gable I am a little surprised that we've only seen Cooper worked in to the offense on one occasion this year and when he was worked in he was pretty darn effective had one of the best games as a running back in Edmonton all year long he's the only Eskimos running back with a touchdown this year I I still think CJ Gable's a really good player and I think Gable deserves the veteran benefit of the doubt to continue putting him at the top of the depth chart and maybe seeing the bulk of the carries. But I am a little surprised they haven't used both guys. I think that could be a really interesting thunder and lightning approach from these two guys if they were to use them both. And I understand ratios come into it and there's all kinds of decisions you need to make about your lineup. But I am a little surprised that both players haven't seen more of the, the carries and that we've only seen Cooper have the one really big game when he's been a part of the offense. So I, as it stands right now, I think C.J. Gable's a really intriguing play, and I think he's got the capability to have one of his best games of the season this week. But I do think that's a situation to keep an eye on as the season goes along because you've got two really talented running backs in Edmonton. Yeah, I'm kind of left scratching my head a little bit on this one because, and now it might change because you have the Martise Jackson injury, uh, which hopefully he's all right for the Eskimos, a dynamic returner, but... Uh, Shaq Cooper, he's an electrifying player. I saw him against the Argos. He ran like 10 yards backwards before going all the way across the field and then picking up yards and, and, and getting a gain for his team. Like He is just a phenomenal talent. And I understand uh, young running backs, they need experience. They got to know how to block. Uh, they got to pick up all the intricacies of the three-down game that they're not exposed to. Uh, playing in college but it is a young man's position it's a position where speed and youth are usually going to lead to success you want to talk about the ratio there's got to be a way to get Shaq Cooper in there I mean he can return you get him in there instead of Martise Jackson you can return you can have him as part of the offense they're similar players it's one instead of the other that's fine but this team has got to start finding a way to get CJ Gable and Shaq Cooper both in the offense in the same game because they're very different backs and I think it gives the Eskimos a lot more that they can do. It gives them a lot more versatility on offense. Can I just say I think I do think it's fascinating your your borderline obsession with running backs and their age. Three of the top four running backs in the CFL this year statistically are 31 years of age or more. Andrew Harris leads the CFL in rushing. William Powell is third. C.J. Gable is fourth. I don't think that a 30-plus-year-old running back is as, uh, is as scary or off-limits as, as sometimes you suggest. Three of the top four are 31 or over this year. I, 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 like I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about any of these guys just completely falling off a cliff. Harris, Powell, and Gable are all still high-end running backs regardless of the year they were born in. Well, I think you're overstating my concern a little bit. I've clearly acknowledged <laughs> many times. You do bring it up a lot. I've clearly acknowledged many times that these are very good veteran running backs. So I have no doubt about that. But look at Tyrell Sutton. A, a year ago, we were talking about this as uh, Sutton as one of the best running backs in the CFL. And now all of a sudden, uh, no pun intended, that was completely by accident. But he's not playing football right now. So I, I think... That drop-off does happen quickly, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's not too far away with C.J. Gable handing Shaq Cooper the baton. But right now, yeah, the Edmonton Eskimos are clearly invested in C.J. Gable as their starting running back. There's no doubt about that. Let's jump to our Saturday game to cap off the week. B.C. coming off the bye 
in Hamilton, and we know big play VA, but I've heard Dane Evans called big gain Dane, which seems a little bit a little bit like copyright infringement. I think I think it's close enough. Uh, he got the loss against the Riders, but big he was right in Dane. there. Big gain Dane. It's a little bit harder to yell. I'll let you finish. Go ahead. Took the loss. Had a good game. Pretty cheap this week. Dane Evans is sitting at fifty-eight hundred dollars. Does he interest you? 19 of 29 passes, almost 200 yards, a touchdown, an interception. And he was the team's biggest rusher with a whopping 34 yards. Well, before we jump ahead with this, I interrupt this podcast to bring you a breaking news announcement, which I've never gotten to do before. So that sounds cool. Do we have music cued for that? Sure. Without further ado, the breaking news, Christian Jones has been traded uh, from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to the Edmonton Eskimos in exchange for Kenny Stafford. Kenny Stafford going to the Riders. Hmm. So maybe Christian Jones, I, I guess it's another way to keep Shaq Cooper off the field in Edmonton. If, uh, if Martis Jackson is out, we'll put Christian Jones in. And uh, I'm not bitter about this at all. Big game Dane. Is that what we called him? Yep. Dane Evans. I got him in my lineup this week. It's early, but... I like the matchup. I think he's got the big arm, and now he's gotten a little bit of taste of, of starting at quarterback in the CFL. I think this is the week to take him against the BC Lions. If there's a week to take him, this would be it, I think, just because he's got, of all the matchups, I think he's got the most attractive one, knowing how BC has struggled so far this season. He was he had some flashes in his in his first CFL start. Like He didn't he didn't do much for you fantasy wise didn't hit double digits uh he was they they were very conservative with the playbook which you can understand in a guy's first start I still like when you've got when you've got guys like Marshall and and others close to the Tiger Cats talking about how high the upside is with them it continues to make me intrigued and and if there's a week to take him I consider taking him he's not in my lineup I've got Fajardo as my quarterback right now but I certainly considered Evans that price is nice under six thousand dollars the matchup is nice and if there's a week for him to take a big step forward statistically this would be it so he's definitely on my fantasy radar he's not in my lineup right now but that's not because I don't think he is a a good play. I think he's one of the intriguing quarterback plays this week. He's in my lineup. I thought I was going to be in the minority here. I need something to shake up my lineup because I haven't won a week in about a month. So yeah, he's in mine and he was comfortable enough to run some trick plays. He caught a pass for 13 yards. <laughs> did that count? Do, do we have confirmation that that... It uh, did, yeah. We'll to find out. It went into the fantasy, right? I mean, he's a, I believe he's so. a player, so we should get credit for that. Versatile Dane the game. Gain, Dane, gain the big eh? gain, Dane. Big man. gain, Dane. All right, I'll figure that. Out. That one's harder to say than big play VA. I like it. I like the play. Um, you like the nickname? We get it. The nickname's okay. It's better than Shaq Jardo, I guess. It definitely is. Shakardo? I think it was Shakardo actually. It's all terrible. It's not good. Running back in Hamilton has been a tricky one because they've gone through so many injuries. Malik Irons, the latest to join the injured list. If he's out, are they able to rely on a guy like Anthony Coombs or Jackson Bennett, or are they going to have to make a trade or a signing here? I don't know. <laughs> this is where you cue the Pat Steinberg soundtrack. I don't know. Pat, do you have any idea? It, I know that you're, and I know that in the past you've been a big fan of Anthony Coombs, and, and he's been a money pick for you in the past, and, and I think he's got he's a very talented player. So he would be, I, I guess he'd be interesting as a low-value guy if Irons doesn't play. Right now, Irons is is in my lineup, and, and we'll see what the status is for him this week uh, as we're recording on Monday. If Irons plays, I really like that price tag at 4500 If he doesn't play, yeah, I, I don't think that I'm going in and putting in somebody else else on Hamilton to make up for his spot. I think Irons is talented. I think if he does play, he's clearly the feature back, whereas if he doesn't, I don't know if they necessarily go down that route and have one guy pounding the ball running-wise. So that's a that's an interesting story to keep keep an eye on because if Irons play, I think he's a good play. If he doesn't, I don't know if I'm really all that interested in the running game for Hamilton. I mean, he left on what, the first series and yep. and didn't even return in uniform. That to me that's usually an indication that uh it's not a mild injury, but I, I don't know. Uh not a doctor. 
So, you know, it's uh, like the end of the Brooklyn Nine Nine episodes. Is that is that where that's from? Yeah, Am I, I think getting so. my shows mixed up? No, that sounds right. Not a doctor, but I'm not, and I don't know what's going to happen. So yeah, I, I'm with you, Pat. If if he's at 4,500, he's of significant interest to me for sure, uh, along with Romar Morris, and and I think John Crockett, as much as I like him, might have a tough time against that esque defense, and and possibly with the game script there too. But th- there are a few cheaper running back options out there. And if Anthony Coombs is the starter there, which I don't think he's suited to be an every down back, I don't know if he can take that pounding, and I, and I don't know if he's an in-between-the-tackles runner. Uh, but if he is, you don't really have a running back from the Ticats because he's listed as a receiver. Lions coming off the bye. This is a team that needed a bye. They're sitting at 1-6. and six. They need some time to get their game together. What's, what's the biggest adjustment they need coming off that bye week? Guys, we're talking about a 1-6 Lions team that could easily be 0-7 because they their only win came against Toronto, and it was by the skin of their teeth. It came on a rouge, a single point at the end of the game. I mean, like that, this, this could very easily be an 0-7 Lions team. So they didn't need to just make one adjustment in the bye week. They needed to make significant adjustments across the board, and they needed a straight-up mental reset, and that might be the number one thing. But from a football standpoint... The biggest thing, and we've talked about this before, Jeff, the biggest thing, they need to figure out how to protect Mike Riley. Mike Riley is still one of the elite quarterbacks in the CFL. Him changing uniforms didn't all of a sudden also mean that he forgot how to throw a football. This guy is still one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL, but he is on the run too much. He has big men in his face far too often quickly. You just... If, if you are running away from D linemen and linebackers on a regular basis, and if you're getting planted after throws every second time, you're not set up for success. That team has got to figure out a way to protect Mike Riley. The sack total is ridiculous high, ridiculously high. The amount of time that he gets in the pocket is nowhere near enough as it should be. That's their number one adjustment, and we'll see if they're able to do it against uh, a, a, pretty, a pretty difficult Hamilton defense to play against, and we've talked about it. That Hamilton D is really starting to come into their own. I like the trade that they made going into the bye week to get Justin Renfro from the Stamps. He's a guy I've always had my eye on, and I'm not a practices, so I don't see him every day, but just from people I've talked to, uh, he could be a successful player in this league. He just hasn't gotten the opportunity, and he's been beaten out by some guys on the depth chart. But to me, this points to the Lions going with more Americans on the O-line. They've been going with four Canadians all season, and it hasn't been working for them. It's not just... Uh, about scheme with the BC Lions O-line. I think part of it is they're, they're pound for pound getting beat by opposing defensive lines. D-lines are sending four, and they're still getting to the quarterback. Of course, teams are blitzing too, and they're having trouble, and they're getting overwhelmed by that. But you're getting beat by a four-man rush. That's going to cause a lot of issues, no matter who your quarterback is, even if it's Mike Riley. So I think that's a positive change for them. I don't know how quickly that impacts their actual lineup. But that's a change that we've been needing to see, uh, in my opinion, for some time. And if that O-line starts to play better, I do think that, that Pat, you hit it, uh, that offense will start to perform better. Mike Riley has answered yes to this question the past three weeks when it was asked to him. But with a Western division that's so strong, is this a must-win game for them? So you're saying this is like the third must-win game for them in a row. That's what he said. He's two. calling it a must-win game when they're, you know, 4-1, 5-1, and 6-1, I'm sure he's saying it now. <laughs> but this, this is a strong division. There's a lot of space between the top four and them. They're going to get it going. they got to start soon, right? Every game from here on out is must-win. BC is precariously close to being a write-off this season with how good the West Division is with right now they're not chasing Ottawa for a crossover spot they're chasing Edmonton for a crossover spot or Saskatchewan for a crossover spot the Riders and and Eskimos are no joke these are very good well-rounded football teams and I think they're trending in directions that could see them be much better as the year goes along Saskatchewan looks like they're rounding into form on one side of the ball and are 
much better than they have been on the offensive side of things in a long time. Edmonton, statistically, is one of the best teams in the CFL, and I think their record probably should be higher than the 4-3 and three it's sitting at. BC doesn't have a choice. They have got to win football games, and they've got to string together three or four in a row if they want to remain relevant. Now, if we're talking about BC sitting at 2-8 at and eight in a couple of weeks, their season's done, and, and I know that you know, you can talk all you want about, well, crazier things have happened, but I don't, I don't see any one of Calgary, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, or Edmonton dropping off the face of the earth. And BC would need that to happen if they're going to continue to limp along. So every game from here on out is a must win for the Lions. We'll see if they play with that type of urgency on the road in Hamilton. All right, we've made it to our three-minute warning. Three-minute warning now, or is it? It is the warning. That's where we do our money picks, our lock of the week, and we are starting with money picks this week. Sorry. We're I'll, not reversing. I'll own that one. I, I, revert, I got the order mixed up last week. I had one responsibility, and I, I botched it. Jeff, would you like to start? Who's your money pick? Sure. I'm going with Kenny Lawler this week, and I know the returns have been a little bit frustrating the last couple of weeks, but hey, that's that's what this $2,500 uh, bargain basement life is all about. You don't know what you're getting from week to week, and I still think that if you need a what you would call punt option at the bottom of your lineup, I think Kenny Lawler's a guy that you can get in your lineup cheap and can give you big output because he's he's still a pretty important part of that Bombers offense, and he's got some upside, uh, especially some big play upside in what could be a high-scoring game against the Stamps. I got Kenny Lawler as my money pick. I'm going to go to BC. It's funny, we just talked about the Lions and how every game's a must-win for them, and I think a big part of the Lions turning their season around, if it's in the cards, is starting to really spread the ball around and, and making it a multifaceted passing attack, which is what we've seen from Mike Riley in his elite years in Edmonton. And one of the keys there for me is getting Shaq Johnson a little bit more involved. We know that this guy's got big playability. He's had one big game this year. The rest of the time, he's been a little bit of a non-factor. But at under 33 I see the game script of BC Hamilton to finish off week nine as being one that could be a high scoring game and lots of passing. If there's a week for Shaq Johnson to break out at receiver in BC, this would be the one. So at under $3,300, I'll go with him. And I'm going to pick a guy that you guys have both previously picked in this money pick range, and he's still in it. Caleb Hawley at 3200 He can get up to four or five passes. You get the four or five points for the PPR, plus all the yards. You can get 10 points from this guy. Decent, uh, decent value at money pick. Let's switch over to our lock of the week. This guy will be in our lineup, even though it's Monday. We're going to make that long pick. Jeff. I'm having a terrible time with my locks, so... I'm hoping to break a long streak this week. I had 110 points last week. I kind of know what I'm doing, but man, the locks just aren't working. I'm going with Braylon Addison this week from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Love the chemistry he had with Dane Evans. I've got Evans in my lineup. It's a nice cheap stack at around $11,000, less than what you'll pay for the top receiver in the game, Brandon Banks, if he's back this week. Didn't play last week, but I think Addison still hasn't, quite been valued the way he should be in fantasy i think he's an elite receiver and uh, you should get him while that price tag is still manageable you could play him as a wide receiver one braylon addison's my lock of the week i went back and forth on this one between a couple of eskimos they're both in my lineup i went back and forth between ricky collins who we talked about being the the low-key biggest addition uh during the offseason and cj gable i'm gonna go with gable at lock of the week i i think that as we talked about earlier you can pass and run from a fantasy perspective on ottawa so i think there's a chance that edmonton puts up some big yardage on both sides of it but i'm gonna go cj gable he's had a couple of big games this year but has been a little silent and i think with a young running back in geez there's so many shacks uh but with Shaq cooper behind him um I, I think knowing that he's knocking on the door i think we're talking about a motivated gable as well i think cj gable has a big game this week against ottawa he's just under eighty five hundred dollars as my lock of the week i'm gonna go with a shack as well that we talked about a lot Shaq evans seventy three fifty. he had 23 points last week without finding the end zone his average is 20.2 yards per catch. So I think there's another big game coming. More than half of his games have been over 20 points. 
I'm going to lock Shaq Evans into my lineup. Uh, that'll do it for the CFL Fantasy Podcast for Week 9. Four games starting on Thursday with a marquee matchup between Calgary and Winnipeg. But all four games, Thursday through Saturday, have got some big-time intrigue. This could be one of the most interesting weeks of the CFL season thus far. Get all of your fantasy fix at cfl.ca with the daily roto weekly guide including those projections start and sit advice and more and also check out the waggle presented by sport clips davis sanchez donovan bennett cfl.ca slash the waggle they're getting you ready for week nine in the cfl and don't forget to subscribe and listen to us every week we're on google play itunes spotify or cfl.ca you can listen to us there Okay, on Twitter, Hannah's at HL Nordman. Jeff is at Jeff Creever. I'm at Fan960 Steinberg. Toss us a follow if you want to interact throughout the season. That'll do it for this week's CFL Fantasy Podcast, presented by our friends at Leo Vegas. Until next time, when we'll be talking about double-digit weeks, enjoy week nine of the CFL season, and good luck if you're playing. That'll do it for another edition of the CFL Fantasy Podcast. Not a doctor. Fremulon. Wait, we have to, you have to do it properly. No. Not a doctor. Fremulon. There's no way that's staying in. It's staying in. <laughs> you, have to put, you have to put one in at least. <laughs>